1: Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by CoSite experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein.
2: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Lucas. I got Uriah here, our producer, who's filling in for our other host, Chris, today. we have a very special guest from Fan Sided Lake Show. But let me go ahead and introduce you guys to Jason Reed. Jason, how are we doing tonight,
3: guys? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, how are you guys doing? Pleasure to be on, first and foremost. You know, we were chatting a little bit beforehand. You know, we got some Phillies fans here. So at least Uriah is. So I'm sorry about that uh, being a doctor <laughs> fan myself. But uh, besides that, I'm doing great.
1: <laughs> hey, it's all good. You know, L.A., they finally got a ring since 1988. I think it was in third grade when that went down. You know, Phillies went. We got a ring back in 08. So, you know, we're, we're, we're tied right now in the past two decades. You know, I, I don't mind being a Phillies fan. We, we do have Bryce Harper and, as long as we get
2: JT Rimuto, I'm, I'm good. And I'm just out here being not really a baseball fan, but I if I'm claiming a team, it has to be the Tampa Bay Rays because my mom lived in Tampa for a while. That's it. I'm not a Tampa. I'm not a baseball person, guys. I'm sorry. It's all right, Lucas. We, we forgive you. We, we know okay, that it doesn't talking, give you attention. We're not here to talk about baseball, so that's the good news for me. Exactly. We're here to talk that's about basketball. <laughs> and Jason's here to talk about the Lakers Sixers matchup this upcoming week. So, Uriah, go ahead, take that away. All right, let's do it. Let's talk hoops. So, Jason, we'll come to you first
1: with this first topic. Lakers and the Sixers are in first place in their respective conferences. And you guys just came off a championship year last year in the bubble. Congratulations to you guys. Is L.A. where they are right now in terms of their expectations? And from what you know about the Sixers, do you think the Sixers are where they're expected to be?
3: So it, it's kind of weird because obviously, you know, the Lakers, you know, I, I say they're the most prestigious franchise in, the, in basketball. Sorry to the Celtics. You know, they have the same amount of rings, but the Lakers have more dynasties, more superstars. Um, so the expectations are always super high. It's almost like I don't know if it was the short off season. I don't know if it was you know the Lakers winning and then the Dodgers winning and then you got the Rams going on a, a you know a playoff run. It, it, there's not as much, at least around LA, it seems like as much expectations. At least at the beginning of the season, um, quite frankly, you know, Laker fans and usually this isn't the case, but they seem to be quite modest in what they expected the team to start off the year. Um, and it was mostly because of that short off season. You know, LeBron's thirty six. Uh, shortest offseason American sports history. you got so many new pieces. I think everyone realistically expected them to be a little bit sluggish out the gate. And quite frankly, I mean, they have a 13-4 and four record, but they have been, you know, they were sluggish at least to start, you know, first week or two of the season. Um, but they're, you know, they're where I expected them to be at least. I don't know about most of the fans. 13-4 uh, and four sounds right. I did a, the 37-game prediction because they released the 30, first 37 games. I think I had them at, like, 29 and eight or something so they're you know projected to go right there um as far as the sixers i would like to brag and say i'm not surprised that they have the best record in the east you know we were talking beforehand i was saying i like you guys i like how you guys match up against some of the other teams in the east i definitely do think it is a little bit of a shock to the general nba fan i mean you know you got the bucks you got the celtics you know even before james harden went to the nets everyone was looking at them but I like you guys, man. I mean, no one expected Embiid to raise to this, you know, MVP level. You know, he wasn't a favorite for the MVP. I guess that's been the biggest surprise. But you guys have been good. I think you were exceeding expectations for sure, even if they're not exceeding my expectations because that's what I expected.
2: <laughs> yeah. So the Lakers, I, I didn't. Ex- I thought that there was going to be some chemistry issues, but I thought they still were going to be a top team in the West. And it's just grown to show that LeBron James, despite being what is he now, thirty six. Yeah. Uh he's he's not he's not slowing down. Yeah, his stats are slightly down, but that's just him taking it easy to begin the season, especially after such a short turnaround. And he has probably, you know, maybe maybe not as, you know, star driven as the Miami Heat teams were, but the probably the deepest team that he's had around him in his career. I mean, yet no, there there is no third star in like Chris Bosch or even Kevin Love, but The supporting cast is just super deep. So I'm not surprised by the Lakers start at all. I am. I'm a little surprised by the Sixers start. um, (laughs) But, you know, I'm not, you know, I I know that sounds weird coming from, you know, the side expert of the Sixers sense. But I'm just like you said, I don't think anybody was expecting it. I don't think anybody was expecting this MVP level. I don't think a lot of people were expecting the, you know, early signs from Tyrese Maxey or Seth Curry having a career year, uh, Tobias Harris getting back to form. I, you know, nobody expected this. And I think Doc Rivers is hitting all the right notes right now, and it's going well. Um, and you brought up matchups. You're right, outside of... I mean, the best center that I can think of in the East that could give Joel Embiid problems and you said Giannis won't before we came on, but he's he's not going to guard Joel Embiid constantly. No, it's probably going to end up being, in a playoff series, the best matchup is probably going to be Brook Lopez, who is not not a bad defender at this point of his career, which is crazy if you think about it like five years ago. He was one of the worst defensive centers in the league, but now he's one of the better ones. But still, Brook Lopez is not going to stop Joel Embiid. All the, good, all the centers that gave Joel Embiid problems are now in the Western Conference, so... Joel Embiid has a wide open lane now, basically, the outside of Brook Lopez. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but who Clint Capella,
3: maybe, on the uh, Hawks? Maybe Miles Turner would have the best luck, but I still don't think he's going to be great against him.
2: No, uh, Embiid punishes Turner because he's so much stronger than Turner. Turner has a vertical, but he's not going to slow him down in a playoff series. Joel's going to get him in foul trouble early. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a little surprised by the Sixers, but I'm not surprised by the Lakers.
1: So I, you can cue all the, the L.A. fans to boo me right now, but um, I, I was rooting for Miami in the playoffs, in the bubble. I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan. I'm still hurt that he didn't come back to Philly. I, I give L.A. big props, um, especially LeBron being at the age, playing at, at such a, a high level and defying you know age. But I, I'm not surprised by their, their current success at all, especially with the acquisitions they made with uh, Montrezl Harrell and uh, Schroeder. So I'm not surprised, and, and good for you guys. I'm, I'm glad that L.A. is doing their thing out, out in West, but come Wednesday night when they play the Sixers, they're going to have a handful with, like you said, Embiid having an MVP caliber year. The way we went out in the playoffs last year getting swept, I'm sure that was embarrassing for him with a new coach uh, refocusing he, he just had a kid and he got a big shoe deal with, with Under Armour. I felt Embiid was, was primed for a big year. I didn't expect, like Lucas said, the emergence of Tyrese Maxey. I mean, the fact that he dropped a 21 is astounding to me. And then Curry, I mean, bringing Curry into the system where he can spread the floor from Embiid, but also Embiid creates a reverse gravity to give him space to shoot it, it it really is impressive what what we've been able to do, and I'm, I just hope they keep it going. So that I, I I'm not surprised, but I'm also I am surprised a little bit. So let let's move on to the next topic. So real quick before we do that, actually, I have yeah. one more point on sure. uh,
3: why I had high expectations for the Sixers personally as a you know Laker side expert. Um, I I'm a big Daryl Morey guy. I mean, obviously, he was um, with the Rockets, not with the Lakers, but. He's one of the smartest minds in basketball. And the way he built those Houston teams while Golden State was, you know, obviously in their reign of dominance and honestly should have beat Golden State, what was that, 2018, 2019, when Chris Paul got hurt? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big Daryl Morey guy. When he went to Philly, you know, I'm, I'm a Doc Rivers is cool. Uh, I worry about him in the playoffs, so just keep your guard there. Um, but mm-hmm. I knew when Morey took the job, he was going to do the right things. And he did. I mean, addition by subtraction by getting rid of Al Horford. Um, and then the Seth Curry, Josh Richardson swap was just, you know, masterful. I mean, it's opened the floor up for you guys so much. And that's why I was so high on him. And I think, you know, Daryl Morey, you know, Joel Embiid's the MVP on the floor, but you know, Daryl Morey's the MVP off the court when it comes to all NBA execs, including Rob Polinka, who also had a really good off season. But I think Morey, Morey did a great job. So let's get to the whole concept of
1: LeBron versus Kobe. Not that it should be a competition at this point, you know, rest in peace, Kobe, but um, coming your way, Jason, how have the Lakers fans accepted LeBron up to this point? Is there still diehard Kobe fans who have a hard time accepting LeBron and just can't let go of, of the legacy that, that Kobe left behind? Or everything is all kosher with, with those fans?
3: So it's an interesting thing. So obviously, you know, LeBron wasn't loved by Laker fans beforehand. And that's because of the whole Kobe-LeBron kind of rivalry that was created by fans and the media and whatnot. I'll never forget, I used to work at a sports store out here on the West Coast called Fans, and when LeBron signed, you know, I had people coming up and telling me, like, oh, I, you know, I hate LeBron, blah, 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 all these things about how they wouldn't support LeBron and the Lakers, and it's definitely gotten better than that. Um, He's never going to hold a candle to Kobe in this town, though. You know, he could win four championships, Mm. and Kobe's the guy. Kobe, you know, played here his whole career. You know, they're going to celebrate LeBron's titles, and we're going to celebrate, you know... And he he's going to be loved, but it's just it's a different kind of love. And quite frankly, if there's anyone and again, I don't think anyone comes close to Kobe just because of what Kobe meant, you know, for the city and everything and then his tragic passing. Um, But if anyone on the Lakers is going to become that kind of star, it's Anthony Davis. You know, A.D. came over from the Pelicans. If he stays, you know, post LeBron and he kind of wins titles without LeBron, kind of like Kobe did without Shaq later in his career, AD is going to be the one that's remembered as this generation's magic, where LeBron is remembered as you know this generation's Kareem, still an all-time Laker great, but Magic was you know the Laker back then. So that's kind of how I view it. I mean, I don't speak for every Laker fan, but um, I don't think LeBron's ever going to be even close to you know Kobe level in this city.
2: Yeah, I I think that's a fair thing to say. Now I'm you know obviously an East Coast guy, so I wouldn't know, but just from the general feel of, you know, you, you go on Twitter, you can see how Lakers fans feel and just the overall, you know, perception of it. But I will say this, I think, I think um, there are going to always be the code there's, you know, and I think I'm sure you guys seen game of zones uh, from bleacher report. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be Lakers fans, but there's always going to be Kobe fans within Laker fans. Yeah. And I think that that and, and is that correct, Jason? Is that a fair?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's it's late. It's, you know, obviously they're Laker fans, too. But Kobe has, you know, if we were comparing them all NBA teams, he'd probably have like the 10th biggest fan base, you know, bigger than 20 NBA teams. Uh, people just love Kobe out here, man. It's incredible.
2: Well, you know, in, in you know, getting into the legacy of Kobe a little bit, I just even on the, you know, East Coast here, growing up in elementary school, whenever we would, you know, shoot a paper wad into a trash can, we would always yell Kobe. It wasn't MJ, it wasn't Shaq, it wasn't, you know, this or that. It was Kobe. And that's I, think just that's what it,
1: speak- I, I think Embiid uh gave told a story of that, Lucas, one time is um he would mm-hmm. he would say he that because I think Embiid fell in love with NBA hoops when the of Lakers. Yeah, well when the Lakers were playing Orlando in the finals years ago, that's when Embiid was a teenager and he saw Kobe just taking over games and, and he fell in love with it. And speaking of uh Embiid, we're gonna shift and we're gonna go towards the matchup for this Wednesday coming up. Big game, 7 30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. So Jason, we're going to go player by player, and then when we get to the bench, we'll just compare benches. So let's just figure out, you know, how these teams match up overall. All right, so let's start with our centers. We have Marcus All, a little long in the tooth, but still effective. Always gave him beat problems, especially in Toronto. And, of course, we have Joel Embiid. How do you think they match up, Jason?
3: Uh, it's interesting because Gasol doesn't play. He starts, but he doesn't play starter minutes. He's averaging, what is it, 19.4 minutes per game? Nineteen. Mm-hmm. 19- yeah, 19.4. Um, Gasol's still good defensively. I mean, looking at, you know, just watching him, the eye test, he's still good. Uh, he's obviously slower than he used to be, but, I mean, that that comes with the years unless you're LeBron. Um, Metrics-wise, you know, he's still putting up good numbers. Defensive box plus minus. He leads the team 2.9. Against Embiid, the way he's playing tonight, or not tonight, but this year, I, I don't think Gasol's going to... Do much defensively, honestly, to stop him. I think AD's probably going to play more defense on Embiid. Um, and offensively, it's just so heavily skewed. You know, they don't really have Marcus All do anything offensively. Um, so, Embiid, obviously, you know, it, it's weird to say Marcus All's a legend, but he dominates that matchup, quite frankly.
2: So, I, I'm actually going to, when Marcus All isn't playing, I wouldn't be surprised that if he, just because, and Uriah knows this. He, he was oh he wasn't a spring chicken when he was in Toronto either. Like he gave Embiid problems, and yes, Embiid's taking it to another level this year. But he hasn't had to deal with a big physical old school center like like Gasol, and it's always the old school guys that give Embiid the problems. You look at guys like Gasol and Al Horford, even those are the type of guys, and even like Brooke Lopez and. Aaron Baines, like those are old school, like grit and grind type of defensive centers. Like the, the new defensive center in the NBA is more of a uh, pogo stick that can, you know, rim defend. But those those guys that have the brute strength, which Gasol still has, I, I think there is going to be a little bit of problems there. But like you said, Gasol doesn't play starter minutes, so it's going to be AD. And Joel Embiid has feasted on AD in the past. We've seen it. And then... uh they're not even going to try to put Montrez Harrell on there. That that would be a terrible idea for the Lakers. Yeah, that'd be uh, so it, you, huh? that would be brutal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it would be AD primarily, like you said, but Joel has feasted on AD before. Granted, AD was a little bit thinner back then, but I think Joel against AD, Joel's going to have fun with that matchup. Marc Gasol's still going to give him problems in the low post, but I think Joel's game has evolved in... Doc Rivers has given him a little bit more freedom, so I think it won't be as bad as it used to be. But I still think Gasol, when it gets near the basket, Gasol's going to win that matchup.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's right now we're we're you know it's Embiid's world, and we're just walking through it. And mm-hmm. un, but until Embiid gets over that that hump with with Gasol, because Gasol has owned him, especially when Embiid mm. tries to to go um, post up. We'll see. It'll it'll be interesting. Uh, like Jason said, Gasol's not going to get many minutes, but Embiid's playing at such an MVP level right now. I, I'd be surprised if he he tossed up a dud. Let's move to the forwards now, and we'll go to uh, – it's really no comparison. But let's just go m- overall forwards. Um, do you think that L.A. has a better forward tandem? I mean, and if so, how much of an advantage do they have?
3: <laughs> um Yeah, they have better forwards. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't
1: even know why I asked that question.
3: uh, It's pretty close. Um, You know, we got two guys, top five, top six in the league, versus uh, Danny Green, Mr. Playoff Brick, and uh, Tobias Harris, who four months ago was the most hated sixer on the team. Eh, Maybe not. Maybe Al Horford. Um, It was Al Horford, but it wasn't
2: wasn't as far apart as you would think. (laughs)
3: Um, You know, I mean, Danny Green, he's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, I don't think at this point in his career, he's going to stop LeBron, but I don't think he's going to be you know primarily guarding LeBron. I think that's going to be Ben Simmons. No. yeah uh, AD, I mean, you know, and B again, I don't know how they stop AD in this game, quite frankly, and that's usually like the kind of um, insight I have in these games when I preview them on the Lakeshore Life podcast. Um, it's always like you have two, you know, it's a dual-headed monster, and it's like you could st- you can usually stop one of them, not every team, you know, very few teams can stop both of them. Um, obviously, Embiid is no slouch near the rim, but the way that AD, you know, can stretch the floor and whatnot, he's, he's shooting more threes and shooting them at a decent rate. Um, I just, I think Anthony Davis can going to have a huge game. And if Tobias Harris plays defense on him, I, I just, I worry for the Sixers, quite frankly. <laughs> Ooh.
2: Mm. Well, I'll say this. I wouldn't be surprised to start the game that Tobias is guarding Gasol. He did that during the playoffs. When uh, Embiid was guarding Siakam, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case here. Uh, I think AD and Joel are going to be guarding each other for the majority of the game. Um, And I will say this, Joel Embiid's feet have gotten a lot quicker on the perimeter this past year. He's not dropping coverage anymore in the pick and rolls. He's keeping up with his defender on the perimeter. So... I would not be surprised if you see Joel guarding AD out at three point line and being efficient there. So, I think the Sixers are probably one of the few teams in the league that can guard both LeBron and AD at a respectable level. The question is for me that I want to see is can Joel stay uh, Joel and Ben stay out of foul trouble in this game? Because if they can, it'll be interesting.
1: Well, that that'll be hard to do because LeBron he gets so many calls. Um, mm-hmm. Side note what what is up with LeBron? I know he's an all time great, but he cries more than than any infant you know who, who's just desperate for a bottle. I he cries after every play. Is, is that something that Lakers fans are oblivious about, or they just don't care? I'm cur- curious, Jason.
3: Um, I mean, if any Laker fan is oblivious, like. Pretending that it's not happening, they're lying to themselves. Uh, <laughs> I, it's one of those things. It's like you hate it when it's the other team and it's the yeah, other guy, but yeah. when it's your guy, it's it's okay. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm sure I'm sure fans, Lakers fans, and other fans of the, uh, who don't watch the Sixers or aren't Sixers fans feel the same way about him B, But but I digress. So I, I feel like I think Harris is a better defender than, than people give him credit for. Not to say mm-hmm. that he'll be able to, especially this year. Yeah, especially this year. Not to say that he'll be able to neutralize AD because I don't think anybody can, except maybe Embiid. Because in the past, I remember watching them head to head. They only played twice a year when he was with the Pelicans. Embiid owned AD. Now, mm-hmm. come Wednesday night, we'll see. But Green will probably be matched up on KCP. But mm-hmm. in terms of of LeBron, LeBron's just gonna he's gonna get his. Obviously, I I, I feel a triple double coming on for LeBron. And Ad, uh, I think whether you put Embiid or Harris on him, I think I think it'll be tougher for him than for whoever's guarding LeBron.
3: Yeah, uh, I will say about Tobias. Um, obviously, he's second on the team in points per game. So it, it sounds kind of dumb to say this, but outside of Embiid, I think he's going to be the one guy who really has a big game. You know, if the six, if things go the Sixers' way, um, because you know, as we mentioned, you know, Ad is going to be locked up with Embiid. Uh, LeBron, you know, he's a good defender when he tries, but he doesn't try this early in the regular season. Um, so I'm guessing LeBron's going to be guarding Tobias unless, you know, they do like a Gasol on MB, AD on Tobias. I just, Tobias is the one guy, I think there's like a little bit of a matchup, you know, mismatch mm-hmm. there for in your guys' favor defensively. That being said, Lakers are a really good defensive team, but um, they haven't really had to play a stretch forward like Tobias, especially with how well he's shooting the, you know, the three ball okay. this year, so...
2: Well, mm-hmm. speaking
1: speaking of three ball, so we're going to go to the guards now. We have someone on the Sixers who is a completely terrible three point shooter, refuses to shoot shots, and I think you know who we're talking about. And then the hottest shooter in the league right now, leading the league in three point percentage. So we have our guard tandem of Ben Simmons and Steph Curry, or damn Steph, Seth Curry. And then <laughs> obviously we have uh, Schroeder, who I'm a bit, I was a big fan of Schroeder even when he was in Atlanta. You guys have Schroeder and KCP. What's your thoughts on that matchup with the guards?
3: So, I mean, obviously, uh, advantage Sixers. uh, Ben Simmons just pushes it over the edge. I will say, don't sleep on KCP. I don't know if you guys have been keeping track of KCP. He's been red hot. He's been just as hot as Seth Curry. Uh, KCP's shooting 55.6% from beyond beyond the arc. Seth Curry's 56. Uh, Curry Mm. attempts five threes per game. KCP, Mm. 4.2. So they're pretty you know, tit for tat right there. Uh, KCP, 929 from the free throw line. Uh, Seth obviously has a missed a free throw yet this year. So those two, the way the way KCP's playing, if the if the 2021 KCP shows up, I think those two are close to a wash as you can get. Now, if last year or the year before KCP shows up, then it's obviously, you know, Seth is going to shoot all over him. Um, and then point guard matchup, I, I was really high on Schroeder going into the year, um, defending him against some Laker fans who, you know, pushed back a little bit on him. He hasn't been great. Honestly, he's forces
2: efficiency down. I I noticed that.
3: Yeah. My problem with how they use Dennis Schroeder and the reason I was so high on him is because I envision them using him in a different uh, manner. I imagine Mm. him being the Rondo of this team, the guard coming off the bench that gets most of his minutes with LeBron off the floor. You know, obviously they have to play together, but you know, that's kind of what Rondo did last year and LeBron's averaging the fewest minutes per game of his career. So it sounded perfect. You know, you have Schroeder and Harrell off the bench together. Um, they've been starting them and they've been getting them 30 minutes a game. I think that's a mistake. Personally, if I was in charge of the Lakers, I just punched my mic. Sorry if you heard that. I would start Alex Caruso and I know Alex Caruso is a meme and other NBA fans like roll their eyes. I don't He's an elite defensive player. I would start Caruso because he's a point guard who doesn't need the ball. And then you can have LeBron be, you know, the point guard pretty much. And then you have that facilitator off the bench and Schroeder. The problem they're running into is they don't really have that facilitator off the bench. Schroeder's playing really inefficient when LeBron's out there. And he's trying to force things, you know, when LeBron's not out there. And it's, he's not been playing great, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, Ben Simmons by a mile. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah no I, I noticed that kcp's efficiency i you know it's funny because when he came into the league you never thought of him as a shooter he was a slasher he was a defender and he's still those things but he added a three-point shot as, uh, once he started playing for the lakers and i've liked him on the lakers i think he's a good role player um i think danny green's going to be guarding him And I wouldn't be I I think KCP probably wins that matchup Uh, and not saying that Green's a slouch, but Danny Green. I mean, KCP is just younger, younger. He's younger. He's more athletic. He's been hotter, like you said, from the field. Seth, now the point guard matchup. This is what I'm going to be looking for, because like we said, Ben's going to be guarding LeBron. So he's really the small forward in this matchup defensively. But offense, you know, so Seth Curry's going to be most likely guarding Dennis Schroeder. And this is the matchup I'm looking for. Because like you said, Schroeder hasn't had a good season shooting. I think he's in the low 40s and the low 30s from both the field and three-point land, respectively. Um, I can't can't remember the stats right off the top of my head. I recently did a point guard ranking where I had Schroeder. Hang on, I can tell you this. And um, I think I had him as like 25. Yeah, I had him as 25th. And I think 25th uh, among starting point guards in the NBA, right b- below Lonzo Ball.
3: Um, shout out to Liz. Guy. I'm a huge Lonzo uh, guy, so I, I have no problem with that.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I feel bad for Lonzo. Side note I feel bad for Lonzo because two out of the four seasons that he's played, he's had to play with other ball dominant players. LeBron in his second season, now Eric Bledsoe in his fourth season. And when he has space and he has, when he has the ball primarily in his hands, he does well and it's just not fair to him. So, but getting back to Schroeder, (laughs) I think they should, I don't know if they should have him come off the bench, but I think they should use him as a bench player. Kind of like what Kendrick Perkins has suggested the Nets do with Kyrie Irving, where you start him, but you have him play primarily with the second unit. And I I haven't seen enough Laker games to know whether or not that's the case. But that's how I would use Schroeder. Still use him at kind of like a sixth man. Have him play with the second unit um, primarily throughout the game. Just still start him. Because I think the idea of starting him is if you start him, then LeBron has less burden during the regular season. And Schroeder can run more of the offense. He can take more of the scoring pressure off of James
3: during the game. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Yep. I will say, I looked at the lineups right now, and LeBron and Dennis Schroeder have played 348 minutes together, the second most out of any two-man combination, only behind Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder. So they are not staggering their minutes like they should be. <laughs> That's the problem.
2: Yeah, they, they they definitely. If they staggered those minutes more, I think Schroeder would become more efficient. And I think he would be playing a lot better this year if he they staggered those minutes and he was playing more of a six man role. I would he'd probably be his top twenty starting point guard in the NBA, but he's twenty fifth in my rankings right now.
1: So I, I think you guys said some really great points about all the guards. Uh, I, I'm just going to go straight to Simmons, and this isn't this isn't on the agenda, so I'm veering a little bit. But it's about Ben Simmons and the chitter chatter that I've heard from people the past couple of years about. Simmons possibly coming to LA is, is that something on the radar or is it, is that just, you know, ghosts haunting the Sixers about, you know, players leaving and, and Simmons being associated with Hollywood, Hollywood, Ben West coast party or Kardashians and all that stuff. Uh, is that something that Lakers fans talk about or even think about uh, Ben Simmons becoming a Laker?
3: Uh, I've, I've never really heard any, you know, chatter about that personally. Um, but now that you've said it, it does make sense in my head. Because mistake me if I'm incorrect, but isn't he a clutch client?
1: Yes, he is. Yes, that's another that's another factor yes. involved with him. So now
3: you got my gears turning. The
2: <laughs> clutch client,
3: you know, wants to come. You know, if things don't work out in Philly, he's like, hey, I gotta go somewhere. Let's go to the glitz and glam. By that point, mm. LeBron's gonna be on his way out. Hey, let's bring in Ben Simmons to be the new LeBron, pretty much pair him with ad and then we got our pairing afterwards um i think that's a great fit and i i appreciate you bringing that to my attention um but (laughs) laker fans i haven't really heard any you know unless like just some random guys chirping on twitter uh i haven't heard anything you know about ben simmons the lakers but i love it
1: let's round out this conversation about wednesday night's matchup and let's look at the benches right i think both the sixers and the lakers have have very good benches and for those people who aren't familiar with the sixers In L.A., we have on our bench, our five that usually comes off, we have uh, Shake Milton, Dwight Howard, uh, Furkan Korkmaz, Matisse Stiebel, and Tyrese Maxey. And, of course, L.A., you guys have Harrell, Morris, Kuzma, Matthews, and Caruso. Jason, who do you think has the better bench? The Lakers. Mm.
3: Okay. (laughs) You guys have a great bench, and I think that the Sixers are one of the few teams that you know, can compare to the Lakers bench. Um, I know I sound kind of snobby saying that. I hate being like homery or anything. Um, but I just, I look at the Lakers bench. I mean, I don't love Kuzma. Those that listen to Lake Show Life podcast know that I'm not a Kyle Kuzma guy. Uh, I thought he should have been traded three years ago. Maybe he shouldn't have even been drafted. <laughs> not that bad. But, um, you know, Trez, he's a liability defensively, but he he gets buckets and, he you know, he gets boards. So he's good. Wes Matthews has really slept on. Uh, If you compare the numbers this year to Danny Green last year on the Lakers, it's pretty much a a wash. He's done exactly what Danny Green was doing last year. Uh, I like Mark Keefe as well. He's just an off-ball shooter. He hasn't been great shooting the basketball, to be fair. Um, And the difference maker, and again, people think he's a meme and he thinks he's overrated because Bleacher Report and other outlets kind of overhyped him, is Alex Caruso. Alex Mm. Caruso is fantastic. I mean, I just did an article the other day. And it was before their last game, so it might not be updated or it might be changed. But Crusoe ranked first in guards in defensive box plus minus. Granted, you know, it's a flawed stat. It's advanced defensive statistics aren't always the best. Um, But he is an elite, elite defensive player. And all of a sudden, he could shoot the three now. He's shooting 56.7% better than Seth Curry. Granted, not as many shots, so he doesn't qualify. Um, Alex Crusoe's is good. And you guys are going to see this in this matchup. And if I, for all the Sixers fans listening... That's the one player I want you to watch is Alex Crusoe because he does not get as much love as he deserves even though it's because he got too much love out the gate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say the Sixers bunch but it's more based on potential than what's actually there cuz I think Kuzma's pretty much who he's going to be I think Caruso's this Lakers bench is a known quantity and that's that's good but the Sixers bunch when they're hitting on all four cylinders is making three pointers. Maz is hot. Maxi's being aggressive, attacking the paint. Milton's hitting his shots. Howard's defending strong in the paint. You know, I I like the Sixers bench slightly more. I I know that you know you know what you're getting with the Lakers bench, but the Sixers bench has so much more potential. I think, and you know that's just partly because you have young four, three, uh, four out of five of them are you know within the first four years of their career, but. You know, or and under the age of 25, so there's that, but I think Shake Milton is a legit candidate for sixth man of the year, he just needs to get a little bit more consistent. Um, that being said, uh, I do you you brought up Kuzma, and I'm curious, would you have been, if let's say you redid the AD trade and you included Kuzma in there, who would you take out of that trade?
3: Well, you could I don't swap think-
2: Kuzma in for either Alonzo or Brandon Ingram, who would you keep?
3: So, well, the answer is Brandon Ingram. But the thing is with that trade is those two had to be in it. I don't think Kuzma could have replaced. I think, honestly, the question is, would you replace Kuzma with Josh Hart or vice versa? Um, Ooh. Yeah, I think Hart Hart is a a good player. I like Hart. I I, like Hart, too. I wrote an article on the one-year anniversary of the AD trade talking about how if they could go back and change it, that should be the one thing they change because Josh Hart would fit this team so much better. Um, and the Kuzma fans did not like that, the Kuzma mania. <laughs> but I, I don't like Kuzma, I'm sorry, and I like Josh Hart a lot. I think he gets traded. He should. He just signed an extension, and a bunch of you know the Kuzma fans are like, see, he's staying. It's like, well, if you look at the number, it's like the perfect tradable contract next year or in the off season. so don't count mm-hmm. your chickens yet. Um,
2: yeah, you could trade him with uh, Schroeder for a very – you can get uh, those two plus a pick or two could get you an all-star point guard. Easily. Yeah. So I guess one more thing that I'm going to ask, is, we we're talking about past uh, Laker young Laker stars. Would you have, if, if you could go back, do you think that the Lakers would have tried the combo combination of Lonzo and D'Angelo Russell? I mean, I know D'Angelo Russell obviously hurt his stock in LA with the, that video of Nick young. But do you think that if that could have been salvageable him and Lonzo could have made a good backcourt together?
3: So I loved the idea on paper, and I would love to see it in practice. I mean, if Lonzo goes to the Timberwolves, I would love to see that. I think they would be great together. But the reason that trade happened, it wasn't so much like, you know, Magic had his comments where he's like, we needed a leader, you know, and he, he didn't say D'Angelo Russell wasn't a leader, but he pretty much said it without saying it. Cool. Um, I that's The main reason they did that trade was because they traded Mozgov with D'Angelo Russell for Brook Lopez, who was an expiring deal that trade was 100% to open cap space for LeBron. So they would have done it a hundred times out of a hundred and it was the right move. Um, and they ended up getting Kuzma out of it too. Cause there was the pick, the Brooklyn pick that came along. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it worked out in that regard, but I would have loved to see it, but you know, because of it was either him or Brandon Ingram. And at that point, Brandon Ingram was still so young and so unproven. I mean, he didn't break out till last year, so they weren't going to trade him. So, it would have been fun to see. They would have worked well together, I think. But the trade was necessary, and it led to you know down the line of championships. So,
2: yeah. Well, let's move on to the Kobe stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as most, uh, it, pretty much every basketball fan should know, this um, is that it's the it's it's we're coming up on the anniversary that uh, the one year anniversary of the passing of the great like Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gina. And um, so we're just going to get into it here. On the one year anniversary, when it happened, where were you when you heard the, about the terrible news?
3: I was right here, well, I'm sitting in a different chair. I was at my desk. I was actually not technically uh, supposed to be working last January for uh, you know, getting a promotion and everything, and I had to like take a, take some time off, so I was not supposed to be working. I believe I was playing Madden. You know I saw I was just I refreshed my phone and right when I refreshed it, someone tweeted like, "Oh my God, no Kobe. And I was just like, what, you know, and then I looked it up and, you know, obviously you see the news and you just keep refreshing and refreshing and hoping it's fake and hoping it's fake. And then I just sat at my desk, you know, Madden game paused and all and was just like flooded with all this information, you know, had to fire up the computer and write something on it. um, Even though I technically, you know, wasn't supposed to be writing anything at that point in time. But um, it was it was shocking. And it was one of those things I'll never forget. We went to Disney World, uh, Disneyland, excuse me last, uh, right after it happened for my sister's birthday last year. And they, that was the same night they were showing the Kobe 61 game. So we stayed the night there and then went to Disneyland the next day. And I remember just watching that game and like, like tearing up, like it was just like, it was one of those things. And you know, everything that happened in 2020, it feels like it was 10 years ago, but it was the first time in my life, you know, non-family member that it was like, you just, you couldn't believe it. It didn't feel real. It felt like a dream. And it's just, it, it it was a total shock. And, you know, it's a huge loss to the world, not just the basketball world, the world, you know?
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. I was, I was in, I was in Florida. I, I live in Pennsylvania, but last year, this time, my wife and I, we, we took a flight and we stayed with some friends in Sarasota. Talk about a unique situation. We were in a play and when you go to a play, uh, at least in this particular place, they require you to turn your phones off. So we're in the play. And three, three and a half hours go by, and I, f- I come out of the play, I turn my phone on, and I get a text message from my roommate, my college roommate. And he said, uh, the text message said, Kobe passed, bro. And I'm thinking, what? And if you guys remember, the previous night, the Sixers played the Lakers, yep. and, and uh, LeBron passed Kobe on the all-time mm-hmm. list of points or something like that I just got chills mm-hmm. yeah so when my i read that text i'm like oh yeah i know that like you know kobe was passed in the all-time scoring list and then i looked online and i saw helicopter crash kobe Bryant. i'm thinking no this is this is not real and then all of a sudden you start looking around I'm in the lobby of this play and everyone is having an in, it's weird it was an instant collective response of gasps and some you know some people were crying I'm like wow so yeah yeah Jason I I was stunned and I agree it was not just a big loss for basketball fans but for people around the world Kobe was he
2: was a, a huge icon in so many ways so I remember I was uh driving home from the city and I was still in the city but I was getting out of there in my head, my my, uh, my brother-in-law, and he he's known as being a little. He likes to exaggerate, and he doesn't necessarily know things about sports. So he said, "Oh, Kobe Bryant passed away." I'm like, "Nah, get out of here! You you lying." So then I got my phone started blowing up, and I you know, I I pulled over and checked, and you know when I was at a stoplight, I you know I checked it. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And you know, then I heard about his daughter. And that, that, that got to me even more because uh, I have a two year old daughter and uh, she was one at the time, but um, you know, I couldn't imagine what those final moments between those two would have been like, Mm. and it brought, it brought me to like, I didn't cry, but like there there were definitely, there was definitely water in my eyes and I, you know, and just from a father's perspective, that was horrendous. I couldn't like I, I wasn't even thinking from the basketball perspective. I was thinking of it from you know, the father's perspective. But it was just so unreal. Like it didn't feel weird. Like me and my college roommate, we, we called each other later that day and we talked about it. It was it was intense, man. Yeah. But uh so let me let me let me just ask you this. What was your what is uh what is a kobe memory that what is like one of your favorite kobe me- memories that you had
3: it's a weird one um because you know i was i'm only 22 22 right yeah 22 <laughs> i had to think about my age um so i was really young for like the 81 point game and i remember watching that stuff but like you know you're young and you don't really understand the magnitude of it all. Um, and then obviously the, the championships were great. I remember when they won their first title. We went down the street, me and my friend in my mom's car, and we were chanting like, "Let's go Lakers!" You know, um, and people were honking and whatnot. But ironically enough, so the the day of his 61 point game, his last game, I was actually at a Dodger game. Uh, my girlfriend had got me Dodger tickets for Valentine's Day, one of the holidays. Um, and it was the same night, and they kept showing highlights. And then, you know, they like it was in between innings and they were showing like the final minute of the game or whatever it was. And literally all of Dodger Stadium, all 40,000 people, you know, were just chanting Kobe. And like there's this baseball game going on and everyone's just chanting Kobe. And they got the Kobe on the, the Jumbotron <laughs> the players looking at it. And like it was just incredible. And it was the perfect, you know, it made me realize like this is Kobe's town. You know, I'm at a Dodger game and all the Dodger fans care about right now is Kobe. Um, <laughs> it, it's Kobe's town. It really is. Uh, I don't think there is an athlete maybe outside of Michael Jordan to Chicago that means more to his city, unless I'm just missing someone more to his city than Kobe Bryant means to the city of Los Angeles. So it, it sucks, man. Yeah.
1: So for me guys, I'm going to take you back to Oh uh, one. I guess I'm the old head on this podcast right now. So, um, in 2001, I distinctly remember Allen Iverson taking over game one of the finals mm-hmm. and the Sixers came out victorious the Sixers were pounding their chests. They were like, yeah, you know, we knew we can hang with these guys. And L.A. at that time, they had they had swept through the playoffs. I don't think they had lost. So I think that was a shocker for Kobe and Shaq at that time. So game two comes out, right, and this is L.A. All the stars are there, and, and everybody's thinking, man, if Philly goes up 2 nothing, maybe they got a shot. But realistically, you know, L.A. just was too big and too too good for the Sixers at the time. And I remember at the end of game two, Kobe and, and AI they were going at it, they were yapping at each other, and i you could see Iverson going, "Yeah, we'll come back to Philly like we like we're going we're gonna take we're gonna take you guys to the max to the limit. We all know that never happened, but when I think of Kobe, I think of that rivalry that he had with Iverson and the mutual respect that they had for each other, and Kobe, he was such an offensive threat and i remember watching him as a rookie i was in college when he was a rookie and to see him develop over the years is just a huge space in my basketball like you know my basketball lore, hall of fame for kobe i was never i can't say i was a huge kobe fan but i just respected his passion for the game and that one memory of him against iverson in the finals is, is always going to stick with me what about you lucas
2: Mine's actually probably one of the lower points in Kobe's career. And that sounds weird, but just, just hear me out on this 2008 NBA finals. It was the one time I saw Kobe Bryant actually look like a mortal man playing basketball versus a basketball God. Cause James Posey somehow was able to figure out how to defend Kobe. And that that stuck to me because that you could see how Kobe reacted at the end of that, you know, the end of the series and how he few thought into two more championships afterwards, but just seeing Kobe, like not being like, we can always talk about, Oh, Kobe's, you know, one of the greatest greatest ever, but seeing a player that was so great being humbled in that regard by a, by role player defending him it wasn't another great it wasn't that you know it was it was a role player guarding one of the best offensive players in NBA history and seeing how Kobe you know looked then and then how he fueled it that to two more championships the following two years really kind of stuck with me there
1: You're such a Debbie down there, Lucas. Come on, man. (laughs) Treading on the man's legs. He Um, he got shut down by James Posey. (laughs) Nah, nah. that's your memory, man. That's your memory. Go with it.
2: I mean, no, it's it's not like a, it's not to be disrespectful. I'm saying like more of a, um, it's crazy to see how somebody so great could be brought down, but then how they respond to that afterwards. Right, right amazing so yeah but um let me just get on the last point here Jason. what do you jason what do you think the kind of legacy that kobe left behind in la but also in basketball as a whole
3: the biggest thing is his you know the mamba mentality the hard work you know he, he was someone who excelled in everything he did i mean he was obviously an all-time basketball great wasn't perfect. And he knew that, you know, and we all knew that, but his hard work uh, and then he goes and he, he makes a short film and wins an Oscar for it. And then, you know, he starts his foundation and that's thriving. And then he's, you know, you know, coaching his late daughter, which is terrible to say, you know, Gianna and, you know, all them and the things that he was doing there and he, he was just someone who, you know, it, it's weird to say because he was someone that didn't necessarily have like a, a terrible upbringing and everything. You know, his parents were rather, you know, wealthy and well off. But it's just that hard work and just that he was Los Angeles. You know, if you think about the point in time he played basketball, football has gone. You know, all the teams left. Uh, there was no L.A. football team for 27 years. Um, at the time, the Dodgers were undergoing, you know, their worst stretch ever. Everyone hate, hated Frank McCourt, their old owner. Um, they were weren't good really until you know we lost to the Phillies and the NLCS two years in a row and then eventually this current run. Um, so it was a time of like kind of you know crummy LA sports and the one thing LA had was the Lakers and it was Kobe and it was Kobe and Shaq and it was they picked Kobe you know for lack of a better word and then he stuck around even though he tried to get traded which some Laker fans like to overlook he stuck around and he won two more titles and it's just. He he excelled at everything he did, and, you know, he seemed to be a great father, a great husband, great everything, you know, everything that happened in his career aside, you know, in his personal life as well. But he, he just leaves this legacy of – he just – one of those figures that seemed larger than life, and that's the best way I can explain it. He just seemed like he wasn't mortal, like you said, both on the court and off the court, really. He just – you know, it, and that was, I think, why it was so shocking when he passed away, you know, so –
1: Yeah, Jason, I I agree with you. The Mamba mentality is something that's going to resonate with basketball fans from here on out. When I think of Kobe, I think of his versatility. I'm old enough to remember when Kobe Bryant was rapping in a video starring R&B singer Brian McKnight. And Kobe was pretty good with his lyricist skills. So whether he's rapping or playing piano, speaks multiple spoke multiple languages he was a poet and to your point jason he he had that uh documentary or what was it a documentary or it was more of a it was a poem slash animated feature is that what you would call it
3: it was yeah dear basketball um
1: yeah homage to basketball yeah. yeah yeah so i mean that was fabulous i showed that to my students um after kobe passed and they were amazed at how creative he was so his his legacy it, it goes beyond basketball much respect to him for making something of himself you know knowing his dad played in the nba he he probably had some felt he had some big shoes to fill and he he filled them and and then some and if you look at the impact that kobe's passing had on the great michael jordan i think that that says that says a lot because uh, jordan broke down you know at the funeral uh, so that, that, that says a lot. So Kobe is
2: definitely, he's, he's bigger than basketball in my opinion. So Kobe Bryant was basketball in the 2000s. First it was him and Shaq, and then it was him. It was him until LeBron won his first title in 2012. It was Kobe's league. He was, and Max Kellerman said this best from ESPN, Kobe Bryant was the closest thing we'll ever get to Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he is going to be the second-best shooting guard of all times. And there's nothing that's going to change that, in my opinion.
3: Not uh, James Harden? Um, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> you're lucky that Chris is not here, because that, that is still a sore, sore subject for Chris. But um, <laughs> We could go with James Posey, though. James Posey <laughs> was a small forward power forward. But <laughs> no, but no. But seriously, though, seriously, um, he was – like you said, he was LA. He was, I think, in my opinion, I think he was the greatest Laker of all time. Even better, greater than Magic ooh, Johnson.
1: Ooh, Kareem? I don't know,
2: man. I don't know. I mean, Magic and Kareem, I don't know. Think, think about the legacy that he has. Maybe he doesn't have as many championships. Maybe he's not as, as you know, but look at what he did for Lakers basketball. He kept it alive in an era, in a time where it would have very easily died off twice. Actually,
1: depending on the age, Lucas, you, you, it's a hard sell for people who grew up during Showtime Lakers. I, I was a kid watching, you know, Boston, L.A. It, I love Kobe, and, and he definitely personifies excellence for the the year that you mentioned, the 2000s. But I, that's a hard sell for Showtime Lakers fans. Well, Wait, let's what, ask the Lakers expert. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Jason?
3: Uh, um, I think it's, uh, it's close. I don't think there's a wrong answer, but I don't think it's Kareem and Kareem's Someone who I argue is could be the greatest player of all time. And he just gets overlooked, but he did his thing with the bucks before. And obviously he was great with the Lakers. I mean, he won two MVPs with the Lakers, if I'm not mistaken, but that was magic's kind of, he was kind of the one, you know, for most of that tenure, I think personally, and again, recency bias, and I actually watch Kobe. So obviously I'm going to be biased, but, I think it's Kobe 1A, Magic 1B, and then Kareem is 2. Um, and then Shaq, probably 3. Nah, I don't know. Shaq what about was... Jerry West and, uh, and Wilt? Jerry West, see, Jerry West is an all-time great, but he, I feel like the era he played in, and he only won one title, just how good Shaq was at his prime, Jerry West probably has more, you know, prestige to his name and history. Uh, Will they got Wilt in the later stage of his career. Uh, I yeah. definitely take Shaq over him, but yeah.
2: I think it's. Well, Kobe I'll say I'll, 1B. I'll, I'll say this: when you talk about Jerry West, you can't just talk about Jerry West the player. You have to talk about Jerry West the GM who drafted Kobe Bryant. That's true. Well, traded for him in the draft, but Vladdy Divas, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worst trade in history, looking back. Gotta for the for the Hornets, history. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a hard question to answer, and I'm, you know what? Your answer for one A, one B—that's fair. Just don't bring up 1A or 1B to Sixers fans because we still feel the sting of the Mikhail Bridges trade. Thanks, Brett Brown. Um, <laughs> but no, I I think I think it's fair to say that he's probably top two Lakers of all times. If not top one, in my opinion, and recently bias plays a factor there too for me, but yeah, I think it's he's easily top two Laker of all time. It's just depending on what era you are and how much, you know yeah I think that's fair. Rewind to the 2015 draft. Were you hoping the Lakers would have drafted Julio Okafor or D'Angelo Russell Moore? Uh,
3: okay. <laughs> what? what for a lot? Oh no. you know if like like if you guys go back and like look up like my name, like you know quotations Jason Reed and then end quotations and then quotations Gi Okafor, I've probably written like seven articles about how the Lakers should give Julius Okafor a second chance. And that would be like, oh. he could, he could finally become what he could be um, <laughs> with the Lakers and LeBron. And <laughs> I'm I'm holding out hope. That's one player. I'm still, he's still only 25. So I'm holding out hope on Julius Okafor. Oh. Okay. So here, great. here's my thing. I
2: really thought the Lakers were going to take Okafor. It just seemed like they were, Oh, they are going to go for a dominant big man. That's so Lakers thing. They take, and then we get D'Angelo Russell. And then you guys took Russell, and I was so mad because I knew that we were going to take Okafor because there was no way we were going to take Porzingis. And there was no other player in that draft that was, that like really wowed me or like in the top three conversation besides Okafor and Porzingis. Yeah. So I was just like,
3: "Mm -hmm." I was so mad. I was half. the smartest back then, so to be fair. Um, but I am still holding out hope on him. <laughs> I'm holding it. He's gonna be good one day.
1: So, Jason, um, where, where can people follow you on Twitter? Can you give us that real quick? Uh,
3: so, if you want Lakers coverage, uh, at the Lake Show Life. Excuse me, I keep punching my mic cord. Uh, if you want to follow my personal, I got Lakers tweets, I got Chargers tweets, I got Dodger tweets. Uh, I just got funny tweets. Uh, it's at Eat Your Reedies. It's a play on Eat Your Weedies, but you know my last name is Reed, so uh, R E E D I E S. And um, I do something on our podcast called Staggering Statistics, and I wanted to leave with that because we were talking about KCP earlier. Um, Here's a staggering statistic for you guys. If KCP plays out the rest of his contract for the Lakers and averages as many games per season as he's been averaging, he will finish uh, 17th all-time in games played with the Lakers ahead of names like Lamar Odom, Shaquille O'Neal, Luke Walton, Rick Fox, Norm Nixon, uh, Robert Ory, George Micon, Pau Gasol, um, so KCP is just going to quietly be wow. like a Laker of all time or top <laughs> uh, tenured Laker of all time. That's definitely interesting. That. that is mind blowing. <laughs> so, that's my staggering statistics to leave you guys with. <laughs> thanks, yeah. buddy. We
1: appreciate it.
3: Yeah, of course, very much appreciate it, bud. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. I yeah. really
1: appreciate it. It was fun. So, yeah, we thank Jason for being on, and we're looking forward to the Lakers game on Wednesday night. But we definitely cannot move forward without mentioning the three victories that the Sixers were able to come up with last week. So, Lucas, uh, what, what are some positives that you took out of the games that the Sixers won against Boston and Detroit last week?
2: Uh, that Joel Embiid is a front runner for the MVP. I mean, that's that's the easy one. I mean, the, the guy's dominant. There, the, there seems to be very little that teams can do to stop him because he's making the smart reads. Yes, he's still getting turnovers, but he's making the right reads. And he's just dominating. So there's that. The, the Sixers are healthy again. That's another positive thing. Mm-hmm. We don't have to rely heavily on rookies like Tyrese Maxey or you know, even shake Milton as much because, you know, Seth Curry is back and Seth Curry didn't miss a beat either. Um, Tobias Harris is still, I mean, he's dropped in his efficiency slightly, but he's still uh, pretty good. You know, and Ben Simmons in the second Boston game finally came back. And that's something that every Sixers fan should be. If he can be, uh, you know, aggressive like that, it doesn't have to be for a full game, but for a quarter or two, that's a win in Sixers' books, in, my, in in the Sixers' books, in my opinion, at least compared to what he started off the season as.
1: Yeah, yeah. The 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 number one positive you you mentioned was Embiid, and I said it earlier. This is Embiid's world right now. We're all just walking through it right now, unless mm-hmm. you, unless you are a a Jokic fan, you know all those Jokic fans out there who, when it comes down to it. You know, if, if both players maintain their level of, of production and overall effectiveness, it's going to be a tight race. But if you want to talk about impacting both sides of the ball, offense and defense, Embiid mm-hmm. clearly is a much more complete player. Jokic is an outstanding mm-hmm. offensive player, but defensively, he does not have the same impact as Embiid. But anyway, uh, the one positive thing that I'll mention, Lucas, has to do with Ben Simmons. And I've probably, <laughs> even more than Chris, I've been a huge critic of him because he is so gifted. He's so strong. He's so tall. He's so fast. And I think after the I think after the the second bossing game, I've come to a realization, and I'm just gonna lay off Ben, and here's why. He's his free throw shooting has improved tremendously. I think against uh Detroit last night, I think he what, what do you make, eight out of ten? So And it's not just that. If you look at the pieces that this team has around Joel right now, I'm just starting to just accept the fact that Ben is not going to shoot. If he does start shooting, it's probably going to be a turnover because he still has a horrible shooting form. So I'm laying off Ben, everybody. I'm just going to let him be Ben. As long as he plays great defense and he keeps going to the rim, getting fouled and making foul shots, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. So he won a seven of ten from the foul line, and that's still pretty good. good. Yeah, that's that's very good for him. So Mm -hmm. so those are the positives. Any negatives stand out
2: from those games, Lucas? Shake Milton still isn't consistently a threat. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I think is going to kill him in uh, Sixth Man of the Year is that he's not consistent as a a scoring threat. He he has slumps, Mm -hmm. and we saw it again when the Sixers are fully healthy that he has a hard time and I think it's partially just him trying to figure out where he fits in the offense because it didn't happen until Seth Curry came back but you know Milton definitely has times where he doesn't it looks like he doesn't know where he needs to be aggressive at and it's and you can see it just by the sheer amount of shot attempts that he has Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something that Milton needs to figure out, and that Doc Rivers needs to help him figure out. Because, um, yeah. I mean, Seth Curry's having a career year, Shaq Milton's having a career year. You got to figure out how to balance those two out. Yeah. You know, or make sure that they're both being aggressive.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something in the past few games, Milton kind of regressed a little bit. Uh, and, and, and that could be a number of reasons. He, he just could be on the cold spell um, in picking and choosing and being aggressive. I think he does have the green light whenever he's on the floor from Doc. Uh, the one thing that stands out to me that that I did not like from some of the recent games is the turnovers. If, if we can keep the turnovers down from here on out, I, I think we obviously in, in increase our chances of winning. And... Um, that's pretty much it for me, negatives. I just think turn, keeping keeping the ball and being more uh, protective of each possession is, is something that, that the Sixers need to keep doing. They need to be aware of that.
2: I will say this, that in terms of turnovers, I will give Ben some credit because I believe in the last couple of games, he's, he himself has kept his personal turnovers low, which is – uh Vier from the regular this season because for the most part of this season he's been very turnover prone but um this month the last three game I mean he was having like like above five there was a stretch yeah it was before bad. this game where it was bad but this these past three games but these three past three games he had three, two and two. That is a win in my book for Ben. Yeah he, now, the fouls have been kind of high but I'd rather have fouls than
1: turnovers. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I'm on board with that. And for the social media question of the week, there's so much talk about, I feel like, Lucas, we talk so much about Ben and Joe that we overlook um, our highest paid player. <laughs> but I, I like Tobias. I've always liked Tobias, even when he was with Orlando and Detroit and even mm-hmm. the Clippers. So the question of the week has to do with Tobias Harris. And the question was, how satisfied are you with Tobias Harris? And is he an all-star? Is he an all-star? So if we go to Facebook, we have some different responses. I'll just read a nice thread right here. Josh Trimmer on Facebook said, love it. Playing like an all-star, earning that money, attacking the rim." Uh, making those threes. Brian T. Glenn says, if we end up number one in the East, they will have to give us two all-stars. So I would say yes. Uh, Greg Seiler says, Tobias is doing a good job. Steve Schur says, so far so good. And Mo Summerin, here's what he said. I've criticized him a lot, but he is balling this year. And the team's doing good. And credit to Doc Rivers. So, Lucas, what what do you think? Are you satisfied so far, and do you think he's an all-star?
2: Well, I would like him to be averaging 20 points, but 19-point-whatever is close enough for me. (laughs) Let me pull up the exact stats so I don't – so he is averaging for our listeners out there. Give me one second, Tobias Harris. But does he deserve to be an all-star? I think he has a strong case for it, especially if the Sixers stay a top seed – the Eastern Conference All Star ballot is kind of weak in the front court position. I, I wrote three uh, very compelling reasons why he should. In a recent article, check it out, guys. Three reasons why Tobias Harris should be an All Star. But he is so. So this season, Tobias Harris is averaging nineteen point four points, six point six rebounds, two point nine assists, one steal, one block. Those steal and blocks averages, by the way. Are a, uh, outside of one point, actually, yeah, no, those are career highs for him in terms of um, steals and blocks per games. That being said, um, the guy's special. I, I don't, the, the, the type of efficiency that he's having, which by the way, Chris, right now he is having a 90 50 40 season, average shooting 90.3% from the free throw line. 51.7% from the field, and 45.5% from the three-point line. There are only a small wow. list of players that have shot that for a whole season, and Tobias Harris right now is on, is doing that. Now, will he keep up with that? I don't know, but it's a strong possibility.
1: Lucas, those, the, those numbers right there, I didn't know he was doing that right off the top of my head, so that can give him a case for being an all-star. I think there's two... Mm-hmm. I think there's too many marquee players in the East right now. I think it will be hard for him to make it. Uh, it's a stretch. I think he deserves at some point. Um, if he makes it, I feel very happy for him. And I am satisfied with, with how he's doing. Now, some people are giving a lot of credit to Doc Rivers. But if you think about it, he has very similar numbers to last year. 20 points a game, 8 rebounds. So I, I don't know if he gets that much as much credit as just Tobias just putting in the work and executing the way he should be now, maybe because of the system that doc has created and that, that connection they had from LA. And on top of that, Lucas, I know, you know, this, we have a new roster. We have more shooters on the floor. We have more dynamic players. So, so that probably helps boost the effectiveness of, of Tobias. And I'm just happy for him. I've I've always been a Tobias fan and, and I hope he keeps it up.
2: Well, I, I will say this, um, two things. One, regarding Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers gives player clear roles and stuff. Ben, uh, Brett Brown was infamous for not doing that, just as Glenn Robinson III. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you look at, so he knows what he needs to do for Brett Brown, uh, not Brett Brown. Um, Doc. Doc Rivers. And Doc Rivers has clear expectations and he knows, and he's doing that for him. Now, when you talk about the Eastern Conference playoff, uh, you know, all star depth at the front court position, let me throw out some names here for you. The only virtual locks I see is Durant, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, and Giannis. Those are my virtual locks. Middleton, Jalen Brown and Jimmy Butler are near locks with Butler and Brown. Probably they can be backcourt players. So there's some flexibility there. And then you get into names like Sabonis, Sabonis. I mean, DeMontis Sabonis, Julius Randle, Gordon Hayward, Jeremy Grant, Nikola Vucevic, Andre Drummond, and Pascal Siakam. Now, if we factoring in team records, which... That, that is part of the all-star voting, and teams that have bad records, their players don't usually make the all-star team look at Bradley Beal last year. Um, that would take some players out of that. Players mm-hmm. on losing teams like Grant and Siakam, hey, they're right. not going to be – they're not, they're probably not going to make it just based off of their team records right now. And then there are some teams whose uh, there are some players whose team are floating around five hundred, and depending on what happens there, will impact that as well. You got Vucevic, you got Drummond, you got Randall and Hayward. Drummond's probably not going to make it just because he's not the best player on that team. Colin Sexton is, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's a front court player. So that leaves Vucevic, Randall, and Hayward, right? And also Sabonis. Sabonis is the only known threat because he's made the all-star team last year. But you look at Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon is falling this year. Yeah, yeah. Good so for him. He has a strong... In my opinion, he has just as good of a case as Sabonis. So they might cancel each other out. And that really only leaves... Uh, um, and, you know, Drummond's... Like I said, Drummond was in a similar case. And that really... only That, that still leaves an opportunity... And, and like I said, I, who knows if the Knicks are still going to be good? I don't think the Hornets are going to stay good. Vucevic just might get it just because he's a former All Star. But like, there's an opportunity there. Yeah, there is a spot yeah. with Middleton, Brown. I mean, yeah, Middleton probably be be a lock for front core position. But that only has one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, they you get about you get about six front core players plus two free positions that you can choose at any time coming off the bench so you have the, the uh there's a spot for him
1: yeah yeah and and we will find out soon enough I, I don't even think they'll have an all-star game but i'm sure that that because of you know contracts and and stipulations you know if they make all-star games they get bonuses and stuff i'm sure that's very important to them for their nba resume and lucas i think that's it for the tonight i think we've covered everything mm-hmm. So we want to say thanks to everyone who tuned in to the Sixers Sense podcast. We want to thank Jason Reed for being our guest. And I know we're all looking forward to that that game on Wednesday night versus the Lakers. Please uh, take a second to leave a comment on Apple iTunes or Google Play. Your feedback is definitely valued. Until next week, I'm Uriah with Lucas. Go Sixers.